Hi, I'm Wendy Francis, nutrition therapist, emotional eating expert, and entrepreneur. I've helped countless people overcome their obsession with food and weight. Isn't it time you overcame what you had become and ignite who you were meant to be? Your time to become an overcomer starts now. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Overcoming Your Emotional Eating, the podcast. Today, I actually uncovered an old podcast and call that I did on emotional overeating years ago, almost three and a half years ago to be exact. But as I listened, I recognized that the concepts and things that were talked about in this call were timeless. Take a listen. Hi. What we've found here at uh, IHCCville is that we've had lots and lots of questions um, and comments and um, wonderings about emotional eating and that being my specialty area and what I've worked it with uh, for 23 years, we thought we should dive in and do some more calls on that. I had gotten away from that for a little while, but we wanted to go ahead and bring a series back in around emotional eating, um, and it can be labeled a number of different things, right? It can be labeled emotional eating. For some people, call it a compulsive overeating. And if we look at more of an extreme wording, it, it could be called binge eating. And on the diagnostic spectrum, if we go all the way to the extreme, it could be considered a compulsive overeating disorder if you're looking at a diagnostic perspective. But there's varying levels of overeating in what I found in my career. And so um, I wanted to talk tonight and begin this series about talking about binge eating. Um, And that binge doesn't have to be the classic binge. If you look at it from a diagnostic criteria, binging can be as as, as far uh, reaching, so to speak, as, you know, what you read in textbooks or uh, novels um, where someone consumes, you know, let's just say 12 donuts, a gallon of ice cream, and a Hershey's bar. Or uh, an overeating episode can simply mean that someone sits down and zones out while they consume two or three plateful of um, their dinner. So uh, there is a variety of levels of this. And I found over the course of my career it's not necessarily about the level that you're at with respect to your overeating. It's about how you feel before, during, and after, and the why that the overeating exists. And so that's really what I want to dive into tonight. In in reality, by the end of today's conversation, I would love for you all to be able to take away, um, one, you know, what's your why, what leads to your overeating, independent, so to speak, of the level that you overeat on. What's your why? Why does that happen for you? And um, is there something that you can change or do about it? And in the end, I'd love for you to hear my patient's example, who I worked with a number of years ago, and how she came to learn that her binge eating was boring. So stay on the line for that so you can hear that as well. For, mm-hmm. for anybody who's had an episode of binging or overeating, you know, they might say the contrary to what my client said to me many years ago. 
that is not boring, that is fun, that they anticipate it, that they love the taste or they love the sensation, or they might not know how to stop. They might feel desperate, hopeless, helpless, or they might feel excited, overjoyed, elated, connected during that time period of overeating. But after tonight, I hope you might say something different. So overeating or binging or binge eating or compulsive overeating, right, all these different terms, is a pattern. And I've said this on my calls before. I look at everything as a pattern, not just a one-time episode. When it comes to life, we all run patterns. And when it comes to food, we all run patterns. And binging is a pattern that can be present and exist on various levels, as I mentioned at the beginning of the call. From overeating at a holiday occasion to an unintentional candy binge, or maybe an intentional candy binge. Amounts, quantities, and times can vary, but specific reasons for binging can remain the same. And that's what I want to dive into tonight. Once you figure out why your overeating exists, and what the pattern is, you can get the name of the game, so to speak, and then you'll actually see that binge eating is boring. So there are a number of reasons why binge eating happens or an overeating episode can happen. Now, the basic level of overeating, so to speak, can be what most people think about happens at Thanksgiving or uh, maybe last weekend with the Super Bowl right, where you're just engaged in some kind of holiday or celebratory activity, and um, it's a pattern or a ritual uh, of overconsumption during that time period. That's what I consider kind of a basic uh, time period where a lot of people might connect in an overeating fashion. But there's lots more reasons why overeating can exist. One, and people always underestimate this, and it's interesting to me, in the 23 years that I've worked in my career, how many people underestimate this? So if you found that you have a pattern of overeating, I want you to always think about this first, because I do. Physiological reasons can be present for people that overeat. Hunger is one of the biggest ones. So, for example, if you undereat during the day, you will backlash and overeat in the evening. It may not happen that first night, but it may happen the second or the third night. If we underconsume during the day, it will come back because the hunger will come back with a vengeance. Your body still needs that nutrition and needs the intake. So making sure that you're not skipping, you know, having long gaps or skipping meals really, really important if you're trying to change your pattern with overeating. Most people think the opposite. They think, well, I've overeaten. I better skip some meals. But the truth is that can just set you up for failure. So always look at your pattern with respect to hunger. That would be one of the first and foremost things and one of the reasons why an overeating pattern can exist. In fact, people can get into this pattern where they don't eat during the day because they've overeaten in the evening and they want to compensate, and then they overeat all evening, and then they undereat all day, and it becomes a harried cycle. In order to counterbalance that, you have to do just the opposite of what your brain and your body tell you. Your brain and your body tell you, don't eat the next day. The truth is, getting back on track and eating regularly is the best thing you can do to get yourself out of a hunger-based 
overeating pattern. So that's one reason why overeating can exist and one reason the why is there. Secondarily, overeating can exist from the environment. Environmental triggers. Notice if you have any. Do you always overeat in a certain seat? Do you always eat on the couch? Do you always eat in front of the television? Do you always eat in front of the computer? Or what I see all the time now, which is very different than when I first started in my profession, I constantly see people eating and looking at their iPhones. Now, when I started in this profession, there weren't our iPhones. There wasn't a whole lot of computers either. Um, we had some, but not to the level that we do now where we're carrying them around with us. But the technological aspect of overeating is present. And that's an environmental cue. I just went to this really great seminar, neuroscience seminar, down in Tampa, Florida a couple of weeks ago. And one of the interesting facts that this gentleman, Dr. Dispenza, talked about was how our body and brain moves so fast now, in particular, when we're doing things like Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat, where we are, we get these visual images, quick, 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 and we're scrolling, that fast visual stimulation that we have during that time period doesn't just make our brain move fast, it makes our body move faster. And that was such an interesting piece for me to think about because it's quite different to sit down and type a Word document at your computer and try to overeat than it is if I see people scrolling on their iPads or on their smartphones. And what we know about brain and the neuroscience aspect of that is how fast the brain moves. And then the body just wants to keep up, which is so interesting to me. And it makes a ton of sense if you realize the interrelationship between brain and body, which I'll speak about a little bit more in just a minute. So watch your environmental cues. They can be a trigger for overeating. They can be part of your why, whether it's a technological environmental cue, a place you sit, a place you stand, or a place you may eat. Those can be your whys, so see if you can relate that back to your overeating. Okay, thirdly, third why for you to check out is the congruence with a companion. And here's what I mean by that, and this can be a why. Sometimes you'll sit down with certain friends, and you might eat, 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 eat together. <laughs> Whether it's your eating pattern driving them or their eating pattern driving you. It doesn't always have to be a spouse. It can be a best friend. It can be a sister or a brother. So notice if you are congruently eating with a companion. Really important. Because we match and mirror people around us, especially those that we're close with, that can absolutely be your why for overconsuming. So see if that's a factor for you. Fourthly, food deprivation. What I mean by this, and if this is your why, you'll understand what I mean. Food deprivation doesn't just happen by under eating. It can be by thinking that you're not allowed to have some kind of food. So I'm not allowed to have this ever again is a way that we deprive ourselves. Now, if you're on a plan, what I always say to people is, yes, there's certain foods on our plan, 
that we don't want you eating right now because we're trying to get your body back in balance. It's not a forever thing. You will be allowed to have those again. I want you to say that same thing to yourself because if you deprive yourself emotionally of food, it will come back with a vengeance. So notice that if you're setting yourself up for failure in that way and not spurring on any pattern of overeating. Emotional deprivation is another reason why people can overeat. What I mean by that, so if someone is trying to constrict, hold their emotions in, stuff those emotions down, and this is more of a, I say classic, but um, it's well written about in textbooks, well documented in journals. If someone is feeling emotions and is stuffing them, feeling and stuffing, I consider that emotional deprivation. You're not connected to your feelings. You're not connected to, your, or you may be over-connected to your feelings and trying to get away from them. I consider that emotional definite deprivation. You may also be using food to escape or to calm or to reconnect. These are reasons that people miss all the time. When somebody overeats, when we overeat, any of us overeat, at the end of that overeating episode, people will feel calmer. They may not feel good physically, but a lot of times people feel better emotionally. When we overeat, we change our breathing pattern. We reduce our anxiety. We do feel calmer. Really, really important. When people overeat, they quiet, they take time. At the end of that episode, again, even though they may feel physically, even though you might feel physically uncomfortable, you're more connected, you're more calm, you've been sitting for a while. So that sets up the pattern of continuing to overeat. Because you feel certain emotions, you use the food to escape. You realize then it calms. And that pattern of connection sets you up for further overeating. So if your pattern of overeating is stemmed from an emotional piece, it would, one, be gathering that information. Two, what emotion is it? What do I feel before? What do I feel and say during? And what do I say to myself after? Really really important. Now, here's the piece I got uh, a number of years ago when I started uh, somatic experiencing certification. And it was re-corroborated with when I went down to this neuroscience conference a couple of weeks ago. We know that our bodies hold our emotions. Now, I'm going to re-say that because it's really not woo-woo. It's actually scientifically based. But we don't think about it in this way. A lot of times we feel like our emotions are only in our head. But we know that the body holds our emotions. So, for example, if someone feels stressed out, their stomach might hurt. Their stomach is holding that emotion, right? Somebody else might feel anxious, and they might want to run, and they might feel a lot of energy in their legs. Someone else gets upset, and they start shaking. Maybe their hands tremble. That holds that emotion. So if the body holds the emotional memory, the body actually can become the unconscious mind. Now, I'm going to go kind of deep here for a minute, so try to follow me. And if you don't follow it, I'm glad to answer questions about it in just a minute. 
The body is the unconscious mind of what we know about the brain is that it believes what you are thinking about and accepts it as reality. I want you to follow this. The body holds emotions and we know the brain holds emotions. We know if the brain and the body believe something, it accepts it as reality in that moment. Okay. Mm -hmm. So if you create a memory in your mind, it's reality. And if you create that memory in the mind and in the body, both accept that as reality in that moment. Okay. So feelings and emotions are actually reactions to the past experiences. Meaning, unless something's going on in the present moment that you're feeling uh, an emotion around, the majority of us are thinking about something that happened in the past. There'd be five minutes ago or five years ago. And those are the emotions that we're constantly reacting to. If that's the case, then we also know the body is reacting to those emotions regularly. And if you're caught in an emotional pattern that spirals into your eating, your mind and your body are caught in the past. And that's what's triggering your eating in the present. Okay? So thoughts and emotions are a linking brain to the past. And in this, we reaffirm all the experiences in the past. So one of the ways, you know, first you can figure out why. why. Why are you overeating? Where does it happen? Why does it happen? Based on the, the you know, options that I told you about just a few minutes ago. Then, if you start by visualizing what you would want your eating to look like with that certain food or at that certain time of day or in that certain environment with that certain emotion, Instead of focusing on what you did or what you normally do, you can actually bring your brain and your body into the future. One of the things I knew to do many, many, many years ago, I first started my private practice, I was young, very young, and I was a commando, and I jumped out there, and I started my private practice. I just gotten out of graduate school. And one of the things I did with all my clients is I said, I want to know how you want to eat. I don't want to know how you eat right now. I want to know how you want it to be. Because what I knew is if we could create a future vision for how you want it to look, we could start to link your brain and your body into the future. And in that, you could start to feel empowered. Because if you have a negative link to food and eating or overeating in the past, Jumping back there all the time to figure it out and feel guilt and shame is not going to help you. So creating that future vision of how you want it to look or when you feel a certain emotion, what do you want to do with it, right? Or if you're under eating all day and you're caught in the hunger deprivation pattern I talked about, how could you do that different? If we start to connect into that, we absolutely know that we can override what we've done in the past because your brain and your body start to think and act like it is. Again, creating a memory, if you just begin to think about and act like it is, your brain and your body will say it is. More and more neuroscience is corroborating with that fact. When I started in this profession 20 years ago, that was a little bit of woo-woo and it was just some positive psychologist kind of off to the side whispering that. 
in the background. And now they're screaming it in the foreground. In fact, there were no positive psychologists back 23 years ago. And now it's a total profession unto itself that people are getting certified in and having uh, master's degrees in. So really interesting stuff that's coming out of positive, positive psychology and recognizing that the brain and the body, what we visualize in our brain and what we feel in our body is what's reality to us. And what we know is, and this is so interesting to me, read uh, a research article when I was down at this neuroscience conference. They estimate that 70 percent, that, that the majority of us in our country, misstep, the majority of us in our country are in survival mode 70 percent of our waking hours. Now, that is astounding to me. And here's why. If we're in survival mode 70% of our waking hours, I know that our primal brainstem is being fired off. For any of you who have been on my previous calls and recognize when I say primal brainstem and what that means, when you link survival mode and primal brainstem together, you are inadvertently going to get a negative no-no in the body, whether that be, right, whether that be from cortisol or whether it be from um, overconsumption of food, fight flight response, anger response, stress response, and other catecholamines. So if we are functioning 70% of the time in survival mode, I know that's altering our eating patterns. I know that's not giving the brain and the body the ability to forward think. It's only keeping us in past thinking. So moving more into forward thinking allows us and future vision allows us to see how we want our eating to really be, how to jump over this fact that we're functioning in 70% survival mode, which I find so intriguing, and to get out of our primal brainstem so we can actually make movement forward in our eating and to not be a slave, so to speak, to overeating. So if you start one thing, if you can figure out why it exists and then you can start visualizing how you want to be able to eat at, day, at night or on the weekends or with certain kinds of foods, once you can begin to do that, you'll override your primal brain stem. And you can start doing it one step at a time by just taking a look at the time of day. What do you want to change? What would you want it to be like? If you find out it's environmental. How could you change that environment? Even if it's just changing it in your brain, even if you just visualize it differently, you see that makes a difference and it starts to step you into future pacing, which is utterly what we know can jump over the primal brainstem and put you into forward thought and allow you to change patterns. So Thomas at the beginning of the call that I would talk about a client that I worked with many years ago. And this client came to me, uh, it's a, this is a client that worked with me many years ago, um, came to me and was binge eating regularly. Uh, by regularly, I mean, you know, one or two times a day, and she would have larger quantity binges, um, what, one that would make her feel uncomfortable. When we first started to work together, I said to her, I said, you know, what do you get from binging? What does it give you? What does the overeating give you? And so her response was, it doesn't give me anything. I shouldn't do it. Now, for any of you that have met with me individually or heard me on these calls, the number one thing I always say back to you is, we're human beings. We're smart. We don't do things because we shouldn't do them. 
we do them because we're getting a payoff. So what's the payoff? So as her and I worked together, she started to actually see what her payoffs were for overeating. And what we knew is during the time of her overeating, she wasn't present in the moment. Even though it tasted good, she was only linked into the sensation of taste. But that doesn't mean that you're present in the moment. It doesn't mean that you know what's going on and you're present today and time. And you know why you're doing it. And you know how it's going to feel. And you stay with it. So what we did together during the course of a number of months is we started to really connect her into how did she feel before, during, and after. We started to give her breathing techniques so she could stay with her thoughts and feelings and really be present during the overeating episode and what she called binges. One day she walked into my office, and this is, we've been working pretty intensely for a few months. And she walked into my office one day and sat down and she said, I came to this conclusion, Wendy. My binges are boring. And I looked at her and I said, what? (laughs) This from the girl who was so invested in binging and realized she shouldn't do it, but was getting so much payoff from it. And she said, you know what happened? I finally got it. I sat with my overeating the whole time I did it. And I mentioned her, her overeating episodes were long. The number of muffins might be a number of donuts, some ice cream. I mean, they're, they're, they're a longer type binge. But in recognizing, realizing once she stayed present with the binge, she recognized how boring it was. Because it wasn't all about just linking into the taste and stuffing her feelings down. It was about the 45 minutes of remote control eating that she was doing and the monotony of it and how it wasn't giving her the payoff anymore. So you see, if you really get the why of what you're doing and you really stay present with it and you really get what it's doing for you and that you're actually doing it for yourself intentionally and look at the positives of it and then start to forward taste and find a way out, you'll realize that binge eating really is boring and that overeating can really be boring. And then you can really connect back into what you need to do in order to solve that for good. One of the greatest quotes I've read on wise just popped up on my computer as I was working on this today. And it says, the reason why people give up is because they focus on how far they have to go instead of how far they've come. This is true with emotional overeating. If you really focus on how much better you're getting, even if it's just you're eating a little bit less or you've made a slight change versus, but I didn't, you know, completely not overeat, you will feel, think, and act more successful in shifting this pattern. And that's where I want you to begin as we embark on this series of emotional overeating. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, share it with a friend, rate, review, and subscribe. You never know who you'll help become the next overcomer.